many of you like eating at Chinese restaurants? How many of you don't like eating at Chinese restaurants? Okay, only a couple of you. Only a couple of you. Well, I like eating at Chinese restaurants. Um, and I like almost anything you can eat at a Chinese restaurant. Matter of fact, and, and you know, the people make this joke about this, that when you eat there, you're hungry an hour later. It is true. I'm not sure why that is, but I really do, there, do like eating at Chinese restaurants. And for some reason, especially if there's a buffet, I always completely overeat at a Chinese restaurant, especially if anything has seafood in it. I'm a seafood fan. That's my number one thing in the world. So like my favorite thing at a Chinese restaurant, if I'm not on a buffet, they never have it on a buffet, is shrimp with lobster sauce. Matter of fact, the Chinese restaurant in Grafton, Spring Garden, makes excellent shrimp with lobster sauce. So uh, if you're ever hungry, you can go there. I drive from Port to Grafton when there's a place here um, because their shrimp with lobster sauce is better. So I like it. I like shrimp with lobster sauce, shrimp with mixed vegetables. I feel that's healthier for some reason. Um, even though it's probably not everything's fried in grease and everything, but the mixed vegetables, vegetables make me feel like I'm eating somewhat healthy. And you always have to have the rice, and I always choose the fried rice over the white rice, and then because it's got all the different stuff in there. And then the fried noodles are great. You like fried noodles? They're good, right? And you have to finish off. Matter of fact, the other day we went for Chinese, and I was thoroughly disappointed. Went to a buffet, and they didn't have the little round donuts which are nothing more, than I think, than those rolls of dough you pop open, and they throw in fat, and then they roll them in sugar. But I have to have that at the end of the meal. And they didn't have any, and I almost said, I'm not paying my bill. I said, I have to have that roll of fat, or that roll of dough cooked in fat, rolled in about, you know, about a couple of ounces of sugar on that thing, and then you finish your meal with a, with a fortune cookie. And the fortune cookies don't taste like anything, but you make a joke out of the fortune that's in the middle of them. Well... If you like eating in Chinese restaurants or you don't like eating in Chinese restaurants, you probably have at least been into a Chinese restaurant. And when you sat in that Chinese restaurant, you probably saw something, because they almost all have it, these very unique placemats. You ever see the placemats in a Chinese restaurant? They look something like that. Ever see those? You've seen them, and I, I guarantee you you've read them and you've talked about the placemat in the Chinese restaurant. Well, what this is, and you've all said, okay, what year am I born? And you've said, what animal am I? And you've made jokes about each other because you're different animals, and you say, oh, that's cute or whatever. So that's a Chinese calendar, and so it might say that you're born this year, and you might be the year of a rabbit or the year of a goat or a horse or whatever. And, and it's the Chinese, in their tradition, it is their calendar tied to the zodiac symbols, the signs of star constellations in the sky, and this supposedly they believe, you know, for a long period of time, they believe that the year you're born in under certain constellations has something to do with your personality. So do you know what the year 2016 is going to be? The year of what? I looked it up. You know, what year is it going to be in 2016? The year of what animal? It is the year of the red monkey. So if you're born, you got a child born this year, it's the year of the red monkey for your child. Now, I'm not sure what in the world that's supposed to tell you about your child. Probably that you better buy lots of bananas. Um, other than that, I'm not sure what it might tell you. But if you're born in 2016, it says, according to their, their idea, it's the year of the red monkey. Well, I've got to be honest with you. I like Chinese restaurants, but I don't put one ounce of stock into the Chinese zodiac in the year of the red monkey or the year of the whatever. I forget what I am. I've looked in the past, 1964. I forget what animal I am. But... Uh, it doesn't really mean diddly to me. 1964, there was a year way back then, kids. 
You know, some of you go, oh, you're a young buck, and the rest of you go, 1964? It's old. But I don't really put any stock in such things, and I kind of believe that most of you probably don't put in much stock in, in the Chinese zodiac either. However, I do think every year, and I think 2016, should be the year of something. I think it should be the year of something. I think it should be the year of something significant. And I think it should be the year of something eternal. And as I've been thinking about, in the end of 2015, launching into 2016, I've been thinking a lot about this. Not necessarily about the Chinese Zodiac, but about what 2016 ought to be. I just, as I thought about this, I thought about that. That people have the idea that the year ought to be a year of something. And I thought... What should 2016 be? Really be? What would be the highest goal for 2016? And I think this is it, at least for me. That I want 2016 to be the year of presence. Now, I didn't say presence. Am I saying that clearly? You see that commercial? We're talking about frog insurance or fraud insurance. You're saying frog? Yeah, fraud. So presence and presence sound kind of similar. And maybe I say them unclear, but the year of presence, not presence, which we gave one another at Christmas, but presence, the very real and life-altering presence of God in my everyday life. So I thought, what would be the greatest thing this year could be? This could be the year of presence, the presence of God when I'm driving my car and the presence of God when I'm doing my work and the presence of God when I'm interacting with my wife and my children, the very real presence of God in my everyday life. Not just church life, my everyday life. I want 2016 to be the year of presence for myself. And I want 2016 to be the year of presence for any of you who desire the same thing. Now, I understand this. And I don't say this with a sense of condemnation. Some of you don't desire that. But I'm telling you, it's the greatest thing there could ever be. I want 2016 to be the year of presence for myself and for any of you who have the same desire. So for me and for any of you who desire the same thing, I have a theme verse for for us for 2016. And it's not like I'm going to put it on a banner on the wall for the whole year, but I want to let it be something that will be a theme verse that I want to go back to over and over and over again. Matter of fact, for the next couple of weeks, we're going, to, we're going to reference it a number of times. And it's Psalm 1611. And I mentioned it during communion this morning. It says this, You have made known to me the path of life. That's pretty important, right? This is the right path of life. How many of you are in a situation in your life, you're trying to figure out, what's the right path to walk on? You're saying, what am I trying? I've got to make a decision. What's the right path to walk on? He says, you have made known to me, so it's not a secret, God wants to make it known to us. You have made known to me the path of life. And he talks about the path, here's the path. In your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand there are pleasures forever. What I'm coming to know in a much more experiential way every year longer as I walk with Jesus is that it's only, and in my mind, in my notes, only is underlined. It's only 
in the very real presence of God in my everyday life where I find true joy and fulfilling pleasure. The psalmist says it here. The path, the right path of life is that in God's presence there is fullness of joy. And at God's right hand, or in God's right hand, which is talking about his presence, you're right there with him, there are pleasures forevermore. The abundant life that Jesus promised to his followers is only found in his presence. Now I want you to hear something today. Because it might be a little different than you normally think. And hear what I say and don't make assumptions about what I'm saying. Right? Listen to what I'm saying. The abundant life that Jesus promised to his followers is only found in his presence. It's not found in some other things. It's not found in being very good at applying good life principles, even principles that are derived from the word of God, to your life. Living by good principles and saying I live a good sensible life because I live life principles, even life principles that are derived from the Word of God. And honestly, in evangelicalism, that's what the church world has been boiled down to. The Word of God is just a a book to find life principles out of. That's not what it's intended to do. The Word's intended to reveal the reality of God to us. Now, there are good life principles in it. But I will tell you this. The abundant life that Jesus promised to his followers is not found by simply applying good life principles derived from his word to your life. Because even people who don't know Jesus can do that. The abundant life that Jesus promised to his followers is also not found in following a whole bunch of religious rules and regulations. Think about it. Just do all this religious stuff. I'll find it. There's, there are billions of people who try that. And they're empty. Or the opposite of that, which is the current trend right now, especially for younger people. Maybe it's always been for younger people, but now it's becoming embraced by the church. The abundant life is not found in shunning established religious principles and indulging in what we would call forbidden fruit. Things that prove that you have liberty and freedom. So yeah, I'm a Christian, but I do this. I'm a Christian, I do that. And the reason you do this or that, even though there's established understanding and principles for for all of Christian history that says Christians ought not to do those things, the reason that you conclude it is say, oh, because then I will reveal that I have liberty and freedom and I think I'll find real pleasure and real joy in that liberty and freedom. I'm telling you, it's not found in that either. The abundant life of joy and pleasure that Jesus promised to his followers is only found in the very real presence of God experienced in an everyday life. This is something very interesting to think about, especially at this time of the year. Because we've just come through the Christmas season, which is all about the presence of God coming to mankind. During this past month, I spent two entire sermons just talking about God's presence coming to us. I preached the first Sunday of December. I preached about Emmanuel. What did it mean? What did Emmanuel mean? It means God with us, his presence being among us. Then on Christmas Eve, I preached about the same thing. I preached about the incarnation. Not exactly the same thing as Emmanuel, but I preached about presence. 
about the incarnation. The word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Matter of fact, I know a lot of you weren't here Christmas Eve, but I would ask if I would preach that next year on Christmas Day, because it's going to be a Sunday. So I'm not sure if I'm going to do it or not, but I was asked that day, would you preach just one year from today on Christmas Sunday, Christmas morning, the same message? And I just might do it. I'm not sure. Preaching about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, about the presence of God among man. Christmas is all about the presence of God dwelling among mankind in the person of Jesus Christ, a little baby in the manger. But we must understand something. I, I need you to hear me today. Just because the presence of God is among us in the person of Jesus Christ by the presence of the Holy Spirit, that does not automatically mean anyone and everyone lives in an awareness of his very real presence that will result in the abundant life of joy and pleasure that Jesus promises to his followers. I'm going to say that again because that is a mouthful. But this right here could change your life. These, these two sentences or three sentences, whatever they are. That just because the presence of God is among us, that's the Christmas message, Emmanuel, incarnation, just because the presence of God is among us in the person of Jesus Christ, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, so the presence of God is among us, that does not automatically mean Anyone and everyone lives in an awareness of his very real presence that will result in the abundant life of joy and pleasure that Jesus promises to his followers. It's not automatic. You see, God has done and is doing his part in the equation. He is here and he is available, but we must do our part in order to live in or to be aware of is maybe a better way of thinking. It's because it's a bit about an awareness. To be aware of the reality of his presence. Now I think this is an idea that is getting muddy in our current cultural religious thinking. There's a current backlash against religious works and effort, which is all right, And I would maybe call it this, the sense of a grace awakening is happening in our culture. And for the most part, it's a good thing. A focus on grace, God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's a good thing. However, like all movements of all time, movements tend to swing too far away from the destination that they came from. They start over here with a problem and they want to go away from it. They swing too far away from the destination of their origination. In this current movement of grace, there is a dangerous movement away from personal involvement in one's spiritual existence. We need to understand something. If any of us wants 2016 to be the year of presence, where we experience the very real and life-altering presence of God in our everyday lives, resulting in true joy and pleasure then we need to understand that we play a very vital role in the relationship. And I'm not talking about rules to follow. That's not the role I'm talking about. I'm talking about a posture or a perspective, a posture toward life where we see absolutely 
everything in relationship to the presence of God in our lives. For us to live in the presence of God that is real and available, we must continually be aware of his presence and posture ourselves in a way that looks for his presence continually that cultivates our awareness of his, of his presence around us, that he is Emmanuel and he is with us always right now. It's about a mindset. And Jesus has given us a wonderful word, word picture to help us understand this. I want to look at that word picture together. Grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 15 with me. And as I read this, I'm going to read John 15, 1 to 11. As I read this text, I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says is our part in the relationship with him. Okay? So listen to the whole thing, but pay attention to what you're supposed to do in the relationship and I'm supposed to do in the relationship. John 15, verse 1. Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoke to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Stop right there. Did you see it? Did you see what our part in the relationship is that will, according to verse 11, result in a life of true joy? What's our part? Abide. Our part in the relationship is to abide. Our part is to to get connected, to be connected, and to stay connected. That's what abiding is really all about. And Jesus uses a word picture that is so easy to, to picture in our mind, so easy to understand. He says that he is like a vine and we are like branches. And the branches have one job to do if they want to produce fruit. They want to produce a life of spirit fruit, of love and joy, and he says, real joy and peace. The branch's role is to simply abide, to stay connected to the vine. If the branch stays connected, it will receive the power of the presence of the, of, of the spirit, and the spirit fruit will, re, will result. We do have a part to play. We need to abide to stay connected. Well, this is where I think the word picture kind of loses its effect because as we think about this image i think it's a great picture but i'm going to say i think it kind of loses something here that for us because as we think of this image 
We cannot imagine how a branch couldn't abide. We cannot hardly imagine it. We think of it as connected. It's organic. They are connected. It just seems natural and automatic. The branch is connected to the vine. And we say things like this. Well, I'm a Christian. I got saved and it was whenever. Or I've always been a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus then and I went to this then and I participated in that then. And I go to church sometimes, maybe always, and I might even help out doing something here or there. It seems like I'm connected. Well, maybe, and maybe not. Now, I in no way believe that I can improve on anything that Jesus ever taught. But if I were to tell the story of the vine and the branches... I'd want the branches to have hands. Okay? Picture that in your mind. The branches have hands. The branches that would, they would have hands that they would have to use to hold on to the vine. And I really think that's the intention of what Jesus, the imagery he's trying to communicate anyways. He's saying you must abide. So he's saying you have a personal responsibility in the whole thing. But I would draw the picture with the branches having hands. The vines have to have a part in maintaining the relationship. They at least need to hold on to the vine. And that holding on to the vine is what I mean when I say we must have a posture toward life where we see everything in relationship to his presence. We know because of Christmas that God is with us. He's Emmanuel. We know because of Christmas that the word became flesh and dwells among us. That's the incarnation. But for us to experience his presence in a continual and meaningful way, we must stay connected. Our fingers must cling to the vine. We must live in a posture of always looking to live in the reality of his nearness in our lives. And I think the idea of the branches having hands could help us understand that. And I think it could do something else. I think the idea of the branches having hands tells us something else about a relationship of abiding that's so important that I think it might be a key to how come some of us don't abide. And it's this. My hands can only hold onto so many things at one time. You know, the other day, I went out in my garage and I was bringing in some firewood for our fireplace. And I had a good shirt on, so I didn't want to get dirty. So I was trying to hold the firewood. And I had firewood, and I also had taken some little pine boards and taken a hatchet and split them up. So I had little tiny pieces of kindling, probably 30 or 40 little pieces of kindling. And I had four or five split logs. And I was trying to hold it all in my hands and to open the garage door without getting my shirt dirty. Well, picture it. I'm trying to, trying to get the garage door open, and every time I would, I would drop a piece of kindling. I try to get the kindling, I drop a log. So I'm, everything's falling, and I'm trying to, constantly picking them up. Finally, you know, you can imagine what happened. I kept dropping them, and I couldn't carry all the wood and open the door at the same time, which, by the way, I have a beautiful copper bin in my, next to my fireplace that you're supposed to carry into the garage to put the stuff in, but I was in the garage already, and I didn't want to go back in and get it, so I was going to do it with my hands. But here's... What I had to do, I had to let go of one thing to grab the other. And so I literally put the wood on the floor, 
I opened the garage door. I pushed the garage door open. I grabbed all the wood. I walked in. I took my foot and I kicked the door shut. And I went and I dumped it in the copper bin that's by the fireplace. This exact principle is also true spiritually. You can only hold on to so many things at one time before things begin to be dropped. And I think the most important question for any of us that we could ask as we begin this new year, especially if we want this new year to be a year of presence, is do I maybe need to let go of some other things in order to cling on to the vine more tightly? That ask myself, what am I all trying to hold in my hand at one time in my overcommitted life? What's most important for me to cling on to? And do I maybe need to let go of a couple other things because I keep dropping things and I can't maintain them all? Do I want to just cling on to the vine with one little finger? Is that the the idea of the relationship I want with the Lord? Then instead of abiding and clinging, I'm, I'm holding on with one little finger. I say, oh yeah, there's a relationship there. But is there? Having a posture, a focus in my life, where in everything I'm asking, how am I connected to Jesus in this? Having an awareness of wanting to be engaged in his available presence. Because this is what I know from God's word. In his presence is fullness of joy. That Jesus says, if I abide... He'll give his joy to me and my joy will be complete. That the only real place, and this is going to take, if nothing else, replacing some false ideas with true ideas in your mind. Because some of us do not believe that the only place of true joy is in the presence of God. You really still believe they're found somewhere in some activity or some attainment in the world. And God's trying to say, no, it don't, it won't. But he's saying, if you want to keep running that path, go ahead, but you won't find any real joy. But he's saying, I offer you something better. In my presence is fullness of joy. And at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now I want to help you do this as you begin the new year. So we're starting off this year with a week, a call to prayer. But it's more than just a call to prayer. We've given you a list in your bulletin. There's a thing that says, call the prayer 54321. The announcements reviewed them. Given you a list of suggestions for this first week of the new year of our call to prayer. And it's really a call to abiding by using certain spiritual exercises. And really it's an opportunity simply to drop some less important things in order to pick up the most important things, and say, if I start my year this way, maybe I'll continue my year this way. So this week, we're calling our Portview family to join together in some spiritual exercises. That's really what we're doing. Count on me for five things. You all got a a bulletin insert. I want to talk about them for a minute because these aren't willy-nilly. These are done on purpose, the five things. And, and I'm saying, these are suggestions. Anytime there's spiritual exercises, if, like I said, if you think that just doing a religious duty will, will get you where you're supposed to go, you're wrong. It's about a position of the heart, a posture towards life. So five things we're suggesting. Five, four, three, two, one. 
that we've presented, prepared for you a, a prayer guide. Now, be honest, a prayer guide is not that great. We tried to find a great one, and we tried to make one that was okay a little better. We altered it, but, but here's the deal. It's simply a direction for you for prayer. So we're saying the prayer guides are on the, at the Connection Center. They're also online. You can just go on the website, and they're all right there online. But five out of seven days using the prayer guide to spend time in prayer. Some of us don't spend five times, five times in a week that we actually get alone and spend time in prayer. Now, some of these things can be combined together. Susanna was looking, she said, well, this one, you can do three things at once. Okay. So five out of seven days this coming week, you're going to spend some time in prayer. and Use the prayer guide as a guide. Look at that, and it's going to give you some ideas. Some of you say, I don't know how to pray. Use the prayer guide, and it'll give you some guidance on how you can pray. Five out of seven days. Four, replace four meals. Now, that's a nice way of saying fasting. Usually we do a complete fast or a Daniel fast or something like that. This year I'm saying, you know what? Because I hear every year, well, I can't do that. Well, pretty much all of us can. Okay? But I'm just saying this way, simple and easy way to get it to establish it. Four times this week, in advance, think it through, set aside a meal, four meals. It could be one breakfast, one lunch, and two suppers, or two breakfasts, one lunch. However, I don't care. But here's the key to it. You skip that meal in order to spend time in God's Word and in silence. Those are three spiritual exercises that are historical spiritual exercises for the church. Fasting, the Word of God, and solitude and silence. So you spend some, that time, instead of saying, okay, I should be eating right now, that gives me more time to get more work done. No. That gives you time to be alone with God. And when I say alone with God, and this is so... Let me have that bread. You're full. I'm telling you, and I, you guys know me, I am not a prude. I'm both the opposite of a prudish pastor. It can't get much less prudish than me. But these things are destroying your spiritual life. I have one too. It's in my top desk drawer. I take it out to preach or somebody will text me while I'm preaching and I'll want to check it. And I don't want to do that. You can't sit for 15 minutes without checking your stupid Facebook. I'm telling you. It's robbing you of solitude. The only time you honestly really hear God speak in all of Scripture is in silence. You have to skip the meal. Then you're not tied to that, but skip the meal and be in quiet with the Word of God. When you have this thing, you have you say, "Oh, but it's on silent." You're not alone. You're constantly engaged. The devil loves it. Because you will never really adequately hear from God if your, voice, if your mind is constantly taken to something else. And so, do I, I love my smartphone. You know, I've got a, what do I have, Brett? i got an iPhone. Okay, that's what it is. <laughs> he bought it for me. He picked it out. He loaded it. He told me how to operate it. I love it. But you know what? It can rob you if all you're doing. We'll, I'll sit around sometimes and I'll, Susanna, and I'll go, look. We'll be in a room. And every person, you're all together, and every person's like this. I'm like, come on, they can't even watch TV without watching, being on the phone. I'm telling you, multitasking isn't always the best. Sometimes you need silence. And I'm telling you, this week, for four times in one week, set aside 30 minutes. 
Some of you are so trained to being constantly stimulated with some kind of media that it's going to almost drive you nuts. It's going to be a test for you. You're going to go, wow, this has really affected me. And if you see that, then say, I want to do something about it. So four times in one week, skip a meal, take that 30 minutes, sit alone with God, have, his, have the Bible, and just maybe pri- primarily be alone and quiet with God. Three, daily pray for three people who, know, who need to know Jesus. There's not one of us in here who can't name three people like this that are in your life closely connected that are not yet born again. They don't know Christ. Every day this week, in one of the, in one of his prayer time, lift up those three names and then say, God, and how can I, how do you want to use me in their life? So pray for three people who don't know Christ. Two, two times during this week, pray with another Christian person. Especially, the reason I put this one in there, especially for husbands and wives. For anybody, you say, well, I don't have a husband or a wife. Okay, get a friend. But here's my challenge. Every single one of you that's married, two times this week, you pray with your spouse. Some of you have never prayed with your spouse. Pray with your spouse. If it's five minutes holding hands before you walk out the door, hold hands, look in each other's eyes, and pray for the blessing of God and the wisdom of God and the influence of God in your family. Start, a, start that practice in January. It'll change your life. And the last one. Participate in one corporate prayer event. We made three of them. And I said something last night, and Suzanne said, Ah, oh, you seemed a little snarky when you said it, and I wasn't trying to be snarky. I said, Man, we fill this place up at a movie about prayer. But in one week from last night, we'll have a prayer time that we have every single month, the second Saturday, and it's usually myself, the staff, and one or two other people. But the place is filled watching a movie about prayer. How about let's pray? So three opportunities this week. And I wasn't trying to be snarky, but she said, you seem a little snarky. So I I apologize. Gary says I wasn't snarky. I'm going to believe him, okay? (laughs) Tuesday night, ladies here, 6.30. I think you have an hour and a half scheduled. Thursday night here, we still have regular Wednesday church. So you say, oh, it's going to be a busy week. Yeah, it's going to be a busy week if you want to participate in things. So what? You're going to stay at home and watch TV anyways and text. <laughs> Thursday, 6.30 to 7.30, the men are going to pray here in the sanctuary. And then Saturday, it's the second Saturday of the month, every second Saturday of the month here in the sanctuary from 6 to 7, we pray for an hour. So attend at least one of them. What are these all designed for? They're simply designed... It's not a checklist that you go, oh, I did them all. Where's my, where's my gold star? No, it's designed for you to create in this very first week, establish a posture towards life. That says the most important thing is I want to be aware of the presence of Emmanuel. I want to be aware of the incarnation, that Jesus is here with us, and that just because he's here does not mean I'm connected to him in such a way that 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 awareness actually affects my life and results in joy and pleasure. It doesn't. I have my part. I've got to hold on to the branch. This is just ways of helping you learn how to hold on to the branch, making right priorities from the very beginning. Does that make sense? So what's the right way to end this thing? You need to just pray. Why don't you stand with me this morning? 
And I want to pray over our church family. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, we want to live in your presence. Because we know that that is the only place where we find true joy and true pleasure. And Lord, that's not some man's opinion. That's your word speaking to us. We looked at just two verses, two different sections of Scripture today that said the exact same thing. That joy was tied to being in your presence, being connected to the vine. So it's the truth. And Father, we want to live in your presence because you want the best for your children. You want us to live in joy and pleasure. And so Father... Help us to learn how to cultivate a lifestyle of being aware and engaged in you. God, we need wisdom and insight to see if in order to do that, that we need to let go of some things so that we can cling on to the most important. God, and some of those things hold on, we're holding on to really tightly. Because there's, there's false narratives in our mind that says that these are the real things that bring joy and pleasure. But God, if we're honest with your word, and right now make your word just shout to us in our souls, and we, we see something maybe for the first time, that real joy and real pleasure are only found in your presence. And we've believed a lie. God, let that false narrative be, be replaced with the true narrative. Matter of fact, Lord, maybe something you'd want us to do is to write down Psalm 1611 and put it on a, on a card and put it in our pocket and carry it with us and read it a couple times every day just so it begins to replace the false narrative in our heart and our mind. And Father, I pray this at the end of what I feel has just been a wonderful service in your presence. A great way to launch off a year with these people that we all love each other dearly because we're family. We're your family that you brought together in this place and God, we're so happy to be part of this wonderful church. That God, you would make this year the greatest spiritual experience that any of us have ever experienced as we follow in your ways. Because this is what we know. In your presence is fullness and joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And God, we want to live in that. So church, I challenge you this morning. Maybe you want to spend a few minutes in prayer. A few minutes just talking to the Lord. Maybe starting to think about how you could establish the 54321 in your life this week. So you have a game plan going into the week. There was one thing about the War Room movie. It talked about having a plan. Have a plan for victory. You need prayer myself and Pastor Mitch will be up here. Pastor Chris to pray for you if you have any needs. Otherwise, when you feel dismissed, go in the presence and the joy and the pleasure of the Lord as you live in a posture which is saying, I want to be aware of Emmanuel everywhere, always in my everyday life because that's where it's found. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful time in Jesus as this week 
we commit ourselves to following Him. 